0: closed country so everything's on the down low there but in Cambodia as soon as Vietnam's done Americans pull out a guy named Pot comes in and murders two million people in that nation and the vast majority of the people I deal directly with that are Cambodians and two of the men I'll show on the screen today experience that as young boys they're my age And so in the late 70s, all this is going on. I've been into the killing fields and all the areas of Cambodia. And the United States did nothing to step in and to help those people because of the political correctness of the Vietnam War and all that people were going through. Nobody wanted to start up anything else. And so as a guy that was born in the 70s who was on this planet and was in America when all that was going on, I personally feel I owe it as a believer in Jesus Christ to the very people that our nation turned our back on. And so I have this compelling desire to want to get them the greatest freedom that could ever be given, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our format and our method in which we do this is different than most because we don't personally send in Americans. We as you met a few weeks ago, Mike Valdez here, uh, I think he was with you at the beginning of, of June. And Mike and I, Mike is my right-hand man. He is literally the guy running the show there, and everything works through him back to us. And many other churches are involved, obviously, but for us and our church, Mike is the guy. And he's a Filipino guy, and he goes in, and and he's doing his thing for the last 20 years. And what we have found out is because these Filipinos adjust quicker and assimilate better into Southeast Asia than Americans could ever, and they adapt to the languages and the cultures and the foods and everything, it is just so much more better of a system for us as Americans to come in and help finance the program but not actually have foot soldiers on the ground, if that makes any sense. And so what our church is doing, and we're going to talk about that, is getting involved without actually being there. And the reason I want to bring that out is we got this mindset that what Jeff did in Albania, and leaving the United States, going and being a missionary, and we think, okay, that's cool, I would never do that. And okay, and you probably wouldn't. But we have this idea that, well, that's a missionary, and that's what he does, and I'm a pastor, and this is what I do, and what I'm telling you is that missions is the product. We're all part of one big factory that God is doing, and the product that we're doing is missions. The departments in which we work in are separate. Mike is on the field. I'm in Villa Rica, Georgia, which is actually a cool place. Coca-Cola was actually invented in our town, not Atlanta, but that's a long story. So, next time you think of drinking a Coke, think of me. Now, bottom line is, we see it as we are commanded to be involved in missions. That doesn't necessarily mean sell out everything I own, pack up and go to Cambodia. Because I can tell you, I would be less effective in Cambodia than I am in Villa Rica, Georgia. Which means you, every one of us in the building today, are in the business of missions. We were placed in that business when Jesus Christ gave us the Great Commission. Which means every single person in the building will one day stand before Jesus Christ. Now, the scariest thought for a Christian should be the judgment seat, and it's all coming for every one of us, where you will stand eyeball to eyeball and look Jesus Christ right in the face and explain to Him what you did and what you did not do amongst the mission. And so for me as a pastor, I just looked and thought, you know what, I don't want to stand there. And then turn around and have to go, well, you know, God, I was a pastor. And I taught my people when the, the goal has been since day one is that we are all a part of the mission. And so that's what I want to talk about. And so we're going to be looking at Acts here. And, and we're going to, here is Acts sixteen six through 24 is where we're going to be focused on. And, and I want you to look at the verses as we read them. And I want you to notice, he says, now when we had gone throughout Phrygia, which I think, everybody's seen the Christmas story? You know, he gets the the gift, and it's the lamp. And he says, Fragili, must be Italian. That's what I think of when I see this town. But anyway, he goes into the region of, of Galatia and was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now, that is one of the most shocking verses in all the Bible. Forbidden? Listen, forbidden, that terminology. If I look at my kids and go, I'd rather you not do that. It's one thing. But if I look at my kids and I say, I forbid you to do that, it's much more stronger language, much more emphasis. And the Holy Spirit of God is looking at Paul going, absolutely not, I don't want you to do that. Which, that doesn't make any sense. Not for me, because I'm thinking, Paul's just doing what you've asked him to do, Jesus. So he goes on, he says, After, after we were come to Messiah, they essayed to go into Bithynia. And by the way, this is where Luke picks up with Paul right here. You can look at the verbiage in this set of verses that we're going to be reading today. He says, and they they passed Messiah and came into Troas. Wait a minute. And he said the Spirit, verse 7, suffered them not. So get the picture. Paul is in Asia Minor, and he's trying to work his way up into this area of Galatia and, and, and Bithynia and those areas. And the Spirit goes, nope. Okay, well, I'll move a little bit further and try to go up. Nope. And so what he does in verse, verse nine, he says, uh, they, or verse eight, they go to Troas. And so he does exactly what all of us should do when you don't know the will of God: sit down and sit for a second, stand still and see what God has for you. So he goes over to Troas. Y'all have heard Netflix and chill. This is Netflix and God's will. He's just sitting there, waiting, chilling out. Okay, God. I don't know what you got for me. I'm trying to do what you've called me to do and you're not allowing me to do it. So obviously you got to plan, God. So I'm just going to camp right here at Troas. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go. Check out those words. He, he, once he got the vision... He didn't sit there and go, yeah, I'm going to get to that. Yeah, I'm I'm going to try to figure out a way. No, immediately. He didn't waste any time because time is short. And we need to get busy. And so what happens is in this church and my church, we have an emphasis on missions. And a lot of people sit around and go, yeah, yeah, I need to get involved with that one day. Well, the one day is going to run out at some point. For not only you, but for the people we're trying to reach. With the gospel of Christ, and so immediately he goes. He goes on, and he says after he has this vision, he goes and verse 9, he, and he's, he he immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, and assuredly gathered uh, that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosening from Troas, we came with straight course to Samothrace and the next day into Napolis and from hence into Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out to the city by by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the woman which restored hither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple in the city of Thyatira, which worship God. Now notice she's worshiping God. She's more than likely uh, involved in Judaism. And that's why Paul went to the river. And I don't have time to take you on why he would have went to the river. There wouldn't have been a synagogue. And so they went down there, and they're having prayer. And so he begins to tell her about the Messiah, the promised Messiah. and, and, And she gets saved, obviously. But she's there worshiping God. She just doesn't know Christ yet. And and, and here's here's the thing, she gets baptized in verse 15, and and she begins to tell her whole household. And I want you to look at verse 16 real quick, and then we'll go into this. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us. And we're going to see at the end of this that everything you're ever going to try to do for missions, you're going to have an enemy that is not going to stand still. And when you begin to move and when you begin to work and you, you start to see lives changed, he is not going to just sit around and go, yeah, that's cool. No, he is going to immediately get involved to work against what you're doing. And, and, and some of you may go, you know what, I'm not going to be a missionary, but man, I'm going to sell out financially for God, and man, I am going to start giving to God. Watch what happens. <laughs> Financial trouble is going to come. Because we've had it as a church. We're doing this great thing for for God, you know, in our opinion. Hey, man, we're selling out to Cambodia. And at the time, man, we're thinking, all right, we're hooked up with another bigger church in town of of about 1,500, and they're carrying the main load. And Man, we're doing this great thing, and all of a sudden, boom, that church falls apart. And now the load is shifted back onto our church. You thought the enemy was just going to sit around and allow the work of God Through 2,000 years of church history, what I do know is when God moves, Satan moves. He counters everything we're ever going to do for God. So I want you to look at a couple things here. Notice before we get into these verses, in Acts 1-8, he gives you this layout that lets you and I know that every single person in the room is commanded to be a part of missions. So even if you're sitting here and going, Dude, I am not a missionary. I'm not even a preacher. I'm not leaving New Philadelphia, Ohio. I'm going to stay right where I'm at. That's okay. Some of you need to stay right where you're at. And you need to be here holding the other end of the lifeline for somebody else out there that's doing the job. And so he says, look at the verse, he says, but ye, now if we were in the South when this was wrote, it'd be y'all, right? Now it's important that you see the verbiage because God is letting you know in your Bible who he's talking to. So he says, Listen, but y'all, all of us, shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon. He doesn't say y'all, you. He's talking, every one of us have the Spirit of God in our life that have been saved. Now, the commission has been given, has been given to us as a church body, to all of us to be involved in it. But when it comes to the personal experience of the Holy Spirit, that's a personal thing. That's why he says, ye, and then he gets down here and he says, you are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And then he goes back, and y'all, or ye, shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the world. So he has given a commission to New Philadelphia, Ohio, and he's given a commission to Kelly Harbin Baptist Church that, hey, y'all, I want you to be involved into this thing of missions and I want you to start right here in Jerusalem. Right here at home. But he says, I want you to branch out. And I want you to get further out than that. And then he says, now listen, because we think, well, he's talking about the church. He wants the church to go reach the uttermost parts of the world. Well, the verbiage is very personal. Hey, y'all. When you receive the Holy Spirit, I want y'all to go reach the uttermost parts of the world. So we take that verse literal, as though he wrote that directly to Kelly Harbin Baptist Church, and he says, hey guys, I want y'all to reach the uttermost parts. Okay, so I kind of told the story this morning. My church, when I first started pastoring, I was there six years, and then when I took it over, chaos came in. And we went down to about 40 people. And it was a struggle, and so we've worked our way back up, and God's blessed greatly. But one of the things we've done is we've realized, wow, how is God going to expect little old us to reach the uttermost parts of the world? And man, here we are in this world today where I can get on a flight, and literally Cambodia is the farthest place away from Atlanta, Georgia. Because when you get on a flight and you leave Atlanta to go to Cambodia, when you reach Cambodia, if you don't land and you keep flying, you're now working your way back home. There are literally 12-hour time difference from us. I wouldn't have chose Cambodia. I like the idea of down in the Caribbean. You know, somewhere you can go and work a few days with the missionaries and then take the rest of the time for the beach. That's a good mission plan. No, God says, no, I, I want you to go over here to this socialist country, this place where poverty is absolutely rampant, and I want you to fly all the way over there, and oh yeah, it's going to take you about 24 hours to get there, flight time. And you're going to get there, it's hot, it's sticky, it's just nasty. And God says, I want Kelly Harbin to reach the uttermost parts. Well, we couldn't get any more uttermost than Cambodia. But here's the thing: My God is global, so why wouldn't I want to be global? If God is reaching the world, then and if I'm a part of His plan, wouldn't I jump in into the same thing? And so here's a guy that you all know. Y'all know William Carey, right? And by the way, so last summer, I I went over to uh, Cambodia, and uh, rode over with Vinny wherever Vinny's at, and and so we we ride over there and. I leave earlier, and I come back. I had a group of people that were there, and I went to check on them, and uh, they spent three months in Cambodia last year. And So I fly out of Cambodia into China, and I've got a nine-hour layover, and it's hot in this airport, and I'm just bellyaching. God, I don't want to be here. Man, can we not find a direct flight? I mean, I'm going off. And God goes, William Carey, if you ever do a study on this guy's life and what he went through to get to Burma with his family and getting on a boat for six months at a time, I'm kind of a pansy. I get a flight that feeds me four or five times when you're on that thing, and you land, and okay, you got a little jet lag. I don't go through what he's going through, but here's what he says. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? You need two things. And this includes everybody in this building. You need an open Bible and an open map. And so the question becomes this. The mission world has to become a personal issue, not just a church issue. So where is it that God wants you as an individual to be working in this world? What what is your uttermost no, I get it. I, I, I understand it. Everything works through the local church. But man, if my church is working in the uttermost, then I need to be involved in that. No matter if I'm just the new guy here at the church, or if I've been here for 50 years, I need to be involved in missions. Because one day, I am going to stand before Jesus Christ, and Kelly Harbin won't stand with me. It will be a personal confrontation of Jesus Christ staring into me and asking me, Corey, did you reach the uttermost? Because that's the plan I gave you. That was the will. Instead, we sit around coffee shops going, I just don't know what the will of God is for my life. I can tell you. You don't need to be in a coffee shop searching for His will. Open your Bible, open a map, and figure out where God's working. All right? So now, I want you to notice first, as we look at the set of scriptures, verses 6 through 8, I want you to look at the influence in the missions. The Holy Spirit's influence into our world and directing us. So if I'm going to figure out where God's moving in my life, I need the Holy Spirit to direct me, right? All right? So that's why he says, man, he uses the word, God forbid him. So here's Paul in Asia Minor, and he's trying to work up towards the Russia area to the the Black Sea area is where he's trying to work his way to. And God keeps going, nope, don't want you going there. Nope, don't want you going there. And so in our church, there's a lot of great needs. There's great needs in Albania. There's great needs in Hungary. There's great needs in Malawi. Man, we could could all get together and talk about all the needs that God would have for us, but the Holy Spirit has influenced us as a church to put a stake down, inside of Cambodia and say, we're going to make a dent here. Now, we support other missions. We, 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 we just picked up a guy, that, uh, one of Jeff's guys in a country over there. And, and, and we've got other guys in the Middle East. We've got guys in Africa and Zambia and other places like that. We support other missions. But as far as what we're going to sell out to, it's Cambodia. Because we believe that the Holy Spirit of God has directed us to this very place. So when we talk about the influence, think about if Paul says, No, nah, God, I'm going to do what i got to do. This is where I want to go. I want to work my way up here. Think about the effects that it has. Think about, number one, the spiritual influence. That if Paul decides, "Uh, uh-uh, I'm not listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go exactly where I want to go. Think about the spiritual influence. So when I look at these verses, and it says that the Holy Spirit influenced him to to forbid him to go. This is where the Calvinists would jump in and go, see there? See, God doesn't even want those people to be saved. No, no, you know, this is sovereignty of God. God moved him away. No, God just had a different man. And watch this. Here's Peter. Do you know the very book of Peter is written to the very people that Paul couldn't reach. So he, God just said, you know what, Paul, you're not the man. That's not where you're to work. You're to work over here. I've got another guy for that field. So you take a guy like me, I haven't invested my life in Albania. That doesn't mean I don't care about Albanians. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about Albanians. No different than it wasn't that God didn't care about those in Galatia. Cappadocia, he's just saying, i got a different guy for that. I'm going to influence you to work over here. The question is, where is God influencing you to work? Figure out where God wants me, and I need to work in that realm. And it's not that God doesn't care about the other people. I trust God that God's going to use Jeff and others to reach the Albanians while I'm over here trying to reach the Cambodians. Can we partner up in some stuff? Absolutely. Obviously, Paul comes back and writes a book called Galatians to these very people. So Paul obviously had some interest in what was going on over there, and he was involved in what he was doing, but the Holy Spirit was directing him in another way. And so we look at the geographical influence. So we saw the spiritual side of it, but what about the geographical? Do you realize right here what we've got going on? And so if you look up here and you see Ephesus, well Iconium and Leicester, if you read earlier on in the chapter that's where they're at Lystra and Iconium. He's trying to work his way up in there into Cappadocius and Bithynia, and the Spirit's not allowing him to do it, so he heads over west. That's a key point, guys. He heads west and goes into Troas, and he goes across into Philippi, into Thessalonians and all that area. And for the first time, the gospel has left the continent of Asia and entered into Europe. And through this, think about the geographical side of this. Now think about this. So for the next 1,700 years, the gospel that first entered in, right here where Paul's being obedient, enters into Europe, and for the next 1,700 years, God works through this continent to reach the world with the gospel. Man, it ends up over here in the UK, up on your screen, you can see Great Britain, England, whatever you want to call it, I don't know how many names they got, but you get what I get, all right? Now, the gospel ends up there, and we enter into the Philadelphian church period, the the golden age of missions, and men like William Carey leave that place, people like the Moravians leave that place, sell themselves into slavery just to go work the gospel mission. And yet, through that place, the world receives the gospel. Not only do they receive the gospel, they receive this one world language that everybody's working through now. okay, and so what happens is it leaves there and ends up over here and if you 'll notice if you go back to school and you remember when you're going through school and you're you're learning about DeSoto and you're Christopher Columbus and I forget the guys in Canada. You, Fill me in later, but all of a sudden we start to notice there are three types of people settling the New World. To the south is obviously the Spanish, and their main emphasis was not religious freedom, their main emphasis was gold. And so that's what settles the southern part. The northern side was settled by the French, and their main focus was fur. But all of a sudden, right here in the middle, There's these group of people who want the ability and the freedom to worship God and to spread the gospel. And through that event, God creates, in my opinion, the greatest country on the planet and the freedom for the gospel to spread. And through the last 200 years, God has used this great nation to spread the gospel Throughout the world. So we have people like Jeff Bartell who leaves Alabama to go reach the Albanians, which is interesting because he's going right back to the same region that Paul was heading into. And yet here we are, God is working through that. And so all of a sudden World War II comes along. And we have men that are stationed in the Philippines. And they're, you guys know the Douglas MacArthur thing, I shall return, all that stuff. All right. So here we got these guys who are believers. In the World War II, and they're, they're over here and they're in the Philippines, and they come back home, and they're studying out of Springfield with uh, the whole deal there. And they're all excited about what God's doing in their life, and they're saying, hey, man, if we can go fight a war over in this country, we can take the gospel. And so they leave out in the 50s, 1950s, and head over here to the Philippines. And so what God does is use these men to set up churches in the Philippines. And one of the main ones that's hard to see, but it's about dead center of the islands there in the middle, is Cebu City. And inside Cebu City, one of the men that gets saved is a man named Army Gisalva. And this guy, to this day, has a six-story church in downtown Cebu City. And with these men who have been training, Dr. Gisalva is way up in age, up 80s now, But over the last however many years, they have pumped missionaries out of the Philippines into Southeast Asia and everywhere else. And so what we have learned is that God is no longer, for the most part, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that God can't call you. But if you ever watch, God has a movement that's going on. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, by the time we realize it, the movement's moved on. It's like a wave. And so we look around and we realize, wow, we don't need to send Americans into Cambodia. We have trained men who are leaving one type of environment that matches the other type of environment. I don't have to take an American who has been born and raised here in America with all the freedoms, the food, the, the housing, the air conditioning, all the stuff we've gotten real accustomed to. I don't have to take a guy and send him over there and spend $5,000 a month to keep him in the country and have him spend three to four to five years to connect with the language. What we do is we take guys from this country and third-party logistics, we pump in the money, they do the work. We have something they don't have, they have something we don't have. And so we partner together to enter in to this place, Cambodia. And that is how the geographical trail of how Paul, who was obedient and said, nah, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit. But you know what happens if Paul says, nope, I'm going to go my own way. He's going to work his way towards, up towards the Black Sea, up towards Russia. Do you know what kind of mission movement has worked through that area of the country, of the world? Very little. Isn't it amazing? God had a plan, and He was reaching people with the gospel, with the direction of the gospel that was heading west the whole time. And oh, by the way, if you continue to look at the map, now that it's here, you know what we're doing in Cambodia now? Sending guys to Laos, sending guys to Thailand, to Bangladesh. We have people who are leaving the work in Cambodia and now going to somewhere else. We have people going to Africa out of Cambodia, trying to reach Africans for Christ. That's really what this is supposed to be. Cambodia is not the end result. It's just the next stop on the station of the gospel. And so that's what's going on. So not only the geographical, how about the theological influence? If Paul doesn't listen to the Holy Spirit, think about what all that is. We have books like Romans. Do you know, do you realize how many books that Paul writes are written to churches in Europe. Now, if he says, you know what, I'm not going to Troas. I'm going where I want to go, God. That's why I, I, I was telling Jeff, I didn't choose Cambodia. Cambodia chose me. I, Paul would tell you real quick, I didn't choose Troas. I didn't true, choose Philippian, the uh, Philippi. I didn't choose that area. God chose it for me. And he begins to work. And so now we have books like Romans, We have books like Corinthians. I understand that you guys had a a, a sweet, dear lady in Christ pass away. How awesome is it that we can come to a funeral of a believer in Christ and have this verse? That if Paul says, you know what, I'm not going over there. Maybe you don't have that verse. I I know that's outside of the box thinking, which is kind of how I think anyway. So Philippians 4.13, we don't have it. We don't have 1 Thessalonians. We don't know nothing about the rapture. It's these churches that Paul wrote to that were not there until he was obedient to what God was doing. So not only the influence of the Holy Spirit, but the inspiration, verse 9. Look at look what he says in verse 9. I'm in the wrong chapter. All right, verse 9. And a vision appeared unto Paul in the night, right? That's what's going on. He he has a vision. Everybody needs a vision for missions. Now, one of the things you'll notice in your notes that I've got down is the difference between admiration and inspiration. You, you do realize we get caught up sometimes admiring missionaries. Man, it's so awesome to look at Jeff go over there to Albania. Man, that, that's really cool stuff. Man, I'm glad God's working in his life. Well, that's, that's cool. I'm glad you admire him. I'm glad you admire the Mike Valdezes that stood here or whoever will stand here in the next few weeks. It's cool to admire what they're doing. And we do need to give them respect on what they're doing. But at what point do we go from admiring people that are doing the work of God and being inspired to actually get in and do the work of God with them? And so I came to the place in my life as a pastor man, I am never going to go to Cambodia at this point I've learned not to say never with God. The plan isn't for me to go there. My job is to stay on this end and figure out how to finance it on this side and to take the resources that God has given us here that they don't have there and to make the system work. And what I would tell you is I'm just as much of a missionary to Cambodia as the guys that are there. And and the the idea that I'm not is just not biblical. There has to be a home base. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. I've been inspired to do something. I'm not just standing around, oh, how awesome is Mike? No, I want to be moved. I want to have a vision to help. One of the things that we're doing right now is we just shipped over 10,500 pounds of green coffee beans from Cambodia To my shop in the Atlanta area. And we're trying to build a coffee company that is gonna take coffee out of Cambodia, bring it to the United States, roast it, package it, and sell it to the masses here. It's a vision. And by the way, the invasion has already started, Satan always gets involved. And our goal is because we have a vision to want to do something. What can we do? And my little church of 100 and 120 people is not going to be able to flip the whole bill. So how do we do this? What do we do? What has God given us that we can make work? And so there would be people in this building you go, man, I, I don't know anything about the Bible, man. I, I'm a business guy in town. Fine. Then use whatever skills you have to perform the mission, to get involved in what the mission is doing. What can you do to be a cog, and I know that's a terrible word, but I'm just trying to give you a visual, in the machine of God's work? And that's that's what we're trying to do. So when we think where there is no vision, the people perish. So we, we are just like Paul here. God, give us a vision for what you would have us to do. And when I think about 1 John 3, 17, he talks about whosoever hath this world's goods. Now, as a guy who's traveled a little bit to foreign countries, I don't care your state. You got the goods. If you're in this country, you have the goods. And so if you and I, as brother and sister in Christ, if we have these world's goods, and we see our brother in need, and we shut up our bowels of compassion... Now this word "bowels of compassion." The reason it uses the word "bowels" is having that deep-rooted feeling. You ever you been you ever been so smitten in love with somebody that you can't even eat? I mean, I haven't. My wife has explained it to me multiple times. So, and this is this feeling. And guys, I'm not talking about atmosphere. I'm talking about where you eat, breathe, and sleep. Missions. And then what is God doing? And, And man, I'm a part of God's work, God's church. He's running the show, but man, I just can't get it off my mind. I want to be a part of what God's doing. That's what it is to have that bowels of compassion. He even tells us in Matthew the same way. Moved with compassion. Not just Moved. Moved with compassion. Deep down in your soul, Jude tells us, some having a compassion, making a difference. Guys, if you ever get that gut feeling, you'll do something. You'll have to. It's kind of like, and I know it's a dumb analogy, but when you're in love with a girl, man, you will do anything. You want to be noticed. You want to be involved. You want to be in her life. And so you're going to do whatever you got to do to get involved in her life because deep down inside of you, man, you are in love. I wonder why we don't have a love for the work the same way we would love the Cavaliers. I wasn't going to go there. Listen, guys, don't feel bad. When you're up 25 to 3 in the Super Bowl, Atlanta and Cleveland have a lot in common. So not only the influence of the Holy Spirit, the the inspiration into missions, but now we have an invitation. Look at verse 9 again. An invitation. Why does my Bible keep moving? Verse 9. He says, And I had a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Boy, there's your invitation. I can assure you, if you will get your face out of the television and get involved, we have more mission work than we have money to throw at. I mean, there's just so much going on. And I have missionaries begging, man, can you help us pray about this? And they're always polite about it. But I, I can read the filters. They're telling you, go... They're telling you what's going on. They're saying, will you help us pray about this? Now, let me tell you what that is in English. Will you help us do this? Will you get involved in this? And so when they're telling you about medical work and and, and feeding centers, and they're inviting you to come be a part of it. And they're begging, will you come help us? We're over here on an island. And if I'm going to have bowels of compassion, I've got to do it. Revelation 3, 7, the greatest mission movement of all time was the Philadelphian church period. And God describes it as a day or a time period of the open door. And so when I tell you that I didn't choose Cambodia, Cambodia chose me, is I feel kind of like in the system, just that rat in a maze. And I've went into a room, like a panic room, if you've ever been a part of one of those, and you're in there, and you're just standing there, and you're waiting And when the next door opens, you go through that room. And when the next door opens, you go. I'm not there to knock down doors. I'm not there to create doors. I'm not there to open doors. I'm not there to close doors. All I am is working for Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, I've set a door open for you. And what God has done in Kelly Harbin is open a door to Southeast Asia and Cambodia and said, I want you to walk through this. Okay, here's what I do know. The door may not always be open. The door may close one day. And the question is, did I move with the bowels of compassion while the door was open? It's an invitation. And at the end of the day, I understand the invitation here was given by a man in a dream. And I understand that the invitation given to me is given to me by guys like Seahawk and Kunte Prack and, and Mike Valdez. But at the end of the day, the invitation is given to me by God. I've set an open door for you. That's why we, here's our open door. 14 million people, 42 different people groups, 30 unreached. Guys, we're 20 years into this in Cambodia, and we have a huge work to go. 71% of the people, three out of every four people you walk up to over there, have never even heard the name Jesus. This is who you're dealing with. So no, I'm, I'm going to just stay over here in Villa Rica, Georgia, and deal with a bunch of churchianity. And deal with a bunch of people who are culturally Christians, not spiritually Christians. And I'm going to deal with these guys and why these people die and go to hell. Why would I do that? So you can either sit around in New Philadelphia, Ohio, and argue amongst yourself on, well, you know, I just don't like the way they sang that song this morning. Or, oh, I I can't even believe they're doing a class on that. I I wouldn't have done that. That's why they didn't ask you. (laughs) But at the end of the day you can either stop and go, listen, there is a wide open door to work in Hungary, in Albania, in Malawi, wherever it is you guys are working. There's a great work to be done in Cambodia. I can assure you, if you want to spend some time there, I've got the guys for you. I had people over there for three months last summer. So we're talking about the invitation, but next, the investigation. Look at verse 10. So we have an influence, we have an inspiration, we have an invitation, but we have an investigation into missions. Now, and notice what he does. As soon as he has the vision, immediately we go into Macedonia. Immediately, right? So let me ask you, and don't raise your hand. How many of you actually have left the United States, got on a plane, and went and looked? And the question is, why not? So let's ask you a little deeper question. How many of you have actually got on a plane and maybe went to the Caribbean for vacation? But guys, I'm not against vacations. I'm all for them. I just left one. I, I, I haven't even been home. I flew from Florida to here because of my son and baseball and all that stuff. But isn't it a shame that we will spend money on us and use our vacation time on us? But we don't dare go, well, Corey, I only get two weeks a year. Somebody right now is going, I don't even get that. Okay. Wonder why we wouldn't be willing to get on a plane in modern day comforts of an airplane and go land and see it. And better yet, smell it. And I'm not joking with that. I've been in church services. It literally would almost take your breath away. It stunk so bad. And this verse is what comes to my mind. Lamentation, here's Jeremiah who's crying his eyes out for what he's seeing. And guys, here's what I know about going to the mission field. I'd heard about missions. I've I, I, Listen, I've been a part of churches that have always been a part of missions. And you know, the missionary comes in, he shows the video, and he does his whole thing. And you're like, oh yeah, this is cool, man. And you have a funny feeling for a few days. And You go back into your normal life. When you land and you step off that plane and you spend a week there, you're never the same. Your life is forever changed. And so the question is, will I allow my eyes to see what God's doing so that it can affect my heart? Immediately. Oh, I'm going to do that one day. Immediately they left. This is Seahawk. I'm going to tell you about two of my guys. And this guy right here, I don't know of a... He puts every one of us to shame at the amount of work. He pastors three different churches. Two of them he started himself. And this building we're in is one of the churches. And it flooded recently, and when I was over there in August, the floors buckled up, and it's, it's a mess. But, you know, right now, this is all we can do. That church started here. This is me in 2011. This is the way it looks now. They're in a building. That is on the front of somebody's house. They have like a little lean-to. And this is where we were at. I didn't even know we were going to a church. And we're walking down this village, and you can't tell, but I'm in shorts. And I'm just walking along seeing the work. And he goes, hey, I need you to preach for them real quick. I'm like, who? Where? And so we walk up, and there's like, right behind me is this sheet, and this is somebody's home where they're living. And this church in 2011 is starting right here. And what you'll notice is there's not a lot of men. Men are hard to reach. The Popot thing and a lot of things going on in that country. A lot of the men were killed in the 70s. And a lot of these women who are are, are, are in a situation with just them and their children, men have drunk, left, died. And so he's building that church with them there. All right? This is... Same guy, Seahawk, in the main church, and that is Lomer Hope Delacruz. Did you guys support him? Okay, so the guy in the white shirt is Lomer. Lomer is the man. I know I keep saying, I'm telling you, these guys all impress me. We're all impressed with the American pastor who can get up and pulpiteer. Please. That's easy. Any guy can learn to do this. This is work. This is, this is tough. And so the Lomer trains Seahawk. Warning to God, trained him, personally discipled, sent him through Bible college over there and trained him and left him that church. And now Lomer went to uh, one of the providences of Kempuchon and is starting a new work there. And yet Seahawk's here. And the reason I'm showing you this is the place they're standing is obviously the pulpit. For 10 years, Seahawk, his wife and his children, every night went to bed on the pulpit. They had no home. So imagine every night clearing the stage off and going, this is where I live. This is my home. That's what he goes through. This is the dump site ministry. Now let me tell you about the dump site. So in Cambodia, there are these people that live in these villages and they work together as teams. And what happens is at night, the garbage trucks come in. They dump their load in the, in the, uh, the dump. And, and so these families will come through here picking up recyclables. And so how it started years ago with Paul Tabaneo is we would come in and we what they would do is work all night long to get a dollar. And so what we did was start up a ministry that said, hey, if we give you the dollar, can we have your kid for the night? And which the parents were like, yeah, I don't even want my kid out here, but I have no choice. I have to have the dollar. So we'd bring the kid back, and we built this area where you could give them showers and change their clothes and wash their clothes and, and throughout the night teach them the Word of God and teach them English. And so the morning would come. The families would come out of the dump, and they begin to, to uh, uh, we'd hand the kids back to them, and they were loving it because their kids don't have to be involved in that, but it takes a dollar a day per kid. I'm not Sally Struthers, but at the end of the day, this has to happen. Would you be willing to support a kid for a dollar a day? This is what we tell our church. And and so, this this is a new dump ministry that was started because the city created a new dump site. And and this building that you're seeing is, is a building that we raise money for out of our church to build, and it serves as not only the schoolhouse, but the church. I bet there's older folks in the building that you know what it is to have a church and a schoolhouse to be the same thing. My dad grew up that way in Iowa. And so what we do is during the week, here's Seahawk, and he's teaching the kids English and math and all those things because these kids are so poor. And so what we're doing is training them, teaching them, because getting the gospel to them is one thing. But if you ever really want to help them out in the the very day-to-day thing, we got to help them find a job. We got to help them find an education. So yes, we want to get them the gospel, but we want to do more than that. Don't tell me you care a man, about a man's soul if you don't even care about his daily life. That don't even make sense. Well, we got them saved, who cares what happens to him till then? The It'll be a better life when they go to heaven. That's not how that works. That's not bowels of compassion. And so here's Seahawk and what we do with a lot of these people is hand out uh, a bag of rice and this oil that they cook, and th- sometimes this is all these people get to eat, and it's part of their ministry. And and obviously we're feeding the kids here. All right, this is a letter, and normally I don't do this, but man, I wanted you to see it. Well, some of it's missing, but you you'll see. It'll say, pa- so Pastor, please allow me to let you know about the school, the dump site. Last Tuesday, I had a scheduled meeting. To meet with the parents of the students in the dump site to encourage the parents for uh, for to continue to keep sending their children to school, and I also uh, share. I understand, these are guys learning English. I right, share. With them, the message of the Word of God, too. I also give them the time to the parents to, for suggestions about the school. And one of the mothers came forward and said, thank you very much for the teacher and the support to help the school. And Now, it goes on to say, I am so thankful you're teaching my kids English. She, because she said, I don't want my kids to be ignorant and like me. And yet, here she is so thankful, not just for the gospel. And guys, I'm not even showing you the bad pictures. Here are these, this is the dump site out in the background. And I'm not going to show you all the pictures of it. It's horrible. And it smells. Oh, it takes your breath. And yet here they are lining up because we're going to have a medical. uh, These are medical supplies here. And we use this as an opportunity to reach out with the gospel. Okay, this bag brings a couple U.S. dollars. And it takes multiple families all night to collect this plastic. This is what they live off of. And if they don't team up, they're not going to make it. And so they live in these villages together. These, that are, I mean, shacks that have been put together with cardboard and a little bit of plywood here and there. That's what they're collecting. Right, here's Kunte Prak. This is my other guy. And I'm just giving you the overview of these guys. Guys, I could literally sit here until supper tonight explaining you to the work that God is doing in these men's lives. This guy right here was the first guy that I really got connected to, and in 2010, I went over to Cambodia, and I looked at Mike, and I said, Mike, and at the time, we had that 1,500-member church that was, was involved over there, and I said, Mike, I, I want to work with the Nationals. I don't want to work with the Filipinos, per se, and he knew what I meant. I said, man, I want to really go set our mark somewhere as Kelly Harbin. And he said, I got a guy for you. And before we left, we sent the money over to put that blue roof on that building, which was his church. And so when I got there a few weeks later, the roof was on. That's me and him inside the building that day. He wanted me to preach a dedication of the building. We did. He's inside the uh, the building's not totally done. The, the, the picture of him and his family there is from August of last year. This is us in 2010. So I go back in 2011, a year later, and the building that you just saw is the one to the right in the top screen. And now we have a feeding center there. At the time, we had an American missionary there, and he raised the money through churches and the 1500, the big church that I was connected to, raised some money, and we built this feeding center at the time was one floor, with the idea of it having a second floor at the time. And I want you to notice that... Right behind, in the lower picture there, if you look through there, there is a banana field right next to it, okay? And that banana field is a little bit smaller than this whole sanctuary. And so I'm preaching that day that you're seeing here, and I look back and I see this white woman, which I know that's not a big deal. It is there. You don't see a lot of white people inside of a service. And I'm thinking, who is this lady? And so they said, yeah, she's a, she's a lady out of, uh, that comes and teaches English, and she's out of Australia. And I thought like, okay. So I didn't think nothing about it. And so we walk outside, and I noticed at the time, you can see the feeding center and all the kids that are going on. We have the church and those two buildings, and that little yard is it. That's all we got left. We're landlocked at that point. And so I'm standing out there, and Mike's there, and, and Prax there. And I'm going, uh, Okay, we got to expand. How much is this field here? Is this for sale? And they said, yeah, it's 30,000 US, 30, U.S. And I remember going, man, there's no way I'm going to come up with 30,000. I'm just a small church, and by this time, the big church in Atlanta is starting to take the nosedive, and I knew they couldn't help. So I look over, and Todd, one of our missionaries, is coming up, and he goes, I want you to meet this lady. And So I shake her hand. How you doing? She's from Australia. About a month later, she goes back to Australia and raises the thirty grand to buy that field. And by the way, she had no idea that's what we were talking about. She was in the building when I'm going, God, I can't do this. And all she wants to do is teach English. And so what we do is we raise the money to put walls around the banana field. And guys, you have to understand the culture. When they buy land, they're trying to own it. And they put up walls and all this other stuff. And so what happens is... We put up these lean-to shacks, and so we start teaching kids in this village English because, guys, you have no idea how important that is to them. But yet we use it because what we do is we use an English Bible, the King James Bible. We're doing the exact same thing Hudson Taylor did in China. And what we do is use this as our textbook to teach you English. And so in the process, we're going to teach you the Word of God. And so now what we do is go about a year or two of doing that. we built the walls around there. We've got the shacks. I'm thinking, okay, this is cool. So in 2011, or 2016, where I was last year, this, I, the picture up the upper part of the screen to the left, I am standing on these walls that are being built. I got up and took a picture. And if you'll notice right in the background, there's a blue roof at the top of the screen, dead center, That's the original roof we put on in 2010. To give you the idea of what God's done. The the building that's orange is the second floor to the feeding center where Prack and his family now live. And then we have the big massive awning that's over the feeding center. But what you're seeing, if you look at the screen down below, the same blue roof back, right through that little opening there is that same original church that all we had was a roof and Two-thirds of the wall's on it. And yet, here's what God has done in seven years. It's so packed now that what God's doing, they're building an orphanage there to keep these children housed. And the question is, you want to be a part of that? There's an open door. And man, as, here he is leading a lady to, to the Lord. And So in 2011, I'm flying out, and I look down at the Mekong, and it's, it's flooded. And it's getting really close to this church, and I'm like, oh man, God, help help us not have that church get flooded out. And God said, No, I got another plan. This is them standing in the water to have service. 87 people get saved during the flood. This is how they came to church. Now, don't take this personal because I would tell it to my own people, including me. If our air conditioner went out, people would go, I'll be back next week when you get that fixed. These people are standing in knee-high water to go to church. And I'm not going to figure out how to get involved in that? That's what God's doing. So, the investment. I'm... Give me three minutes, I'm done. Watch this, the investment. We're talking about investing, right? So he says, in a certain woman named Lydia, you know what he was investing in? Sinners. People that don't know the gospel. People that don't look like you. They don't sound like you. They don't talk like you. They don't eat food like you. But you have one thing in common. Lost without Christ. And the gospel is the only cure. And the question is, would you be willing to invest in that? Now, check this verse out. Ephesians tells us that we need to redeem the time. Now, if you ask anybody in a church, what does it mean to redeem? We all give the straight answer. Well, it's buy off the slave block of sin. Okay, that's cool, and I, I, I get that. That is not the context. You ever have a coupon? Go to the Sunday paper and get you a coupon? That coupon is worthless. Until you go down and redeem it. Convert it to value. That's what it means to redeem it. Take it and convert it. And so God says, I want you to redeem your time, your investment. And what we're trying to do is figure out how do I take what God has given me and convert my life into value. And so the question becomes, are you spending your life or are you investing your life? Spending it is once you've spent it, it's gone. And investment is when you're looking for something in return. Do you have that? Is there something where you can stand on to go, one day when I stand before Jesus, I know my portfolio is going to be full because I am involved and invested into foreign sinners who don't know Jesus. People that don't look like me. It's easy to love people that are like you, smell like you, dress like you. You're going to have a tough time in heaven. Here are a couple more guys. I'm not going to go through all of them. Sivoon is is the guy on the bottom, another college guy. Uh, this is the Rawlings camp up to the right. We, we put about 1,500 kids a week through the Rawlings camp, evangelistic camps. Uh, it's just amazing what God is doing in that. And I'm closing right here with the invasion. So if you got inspired today, you have a vision, you want to do something for God. Here's what I know is going to happen. Every force of hell is going to try to come against you to stop the work. It's just, it's been going on for 2,000 years. Satan hates Christ and he hates everything connected to Christ. And so when you take that step and say, God, I'm going to be influenced by you, I'm going to open up my life and heart for you to open up the door of my life to direct me where you want me working, what I can tell you is Satan is going to come in and go, okay, it's on. There's going to be a throwdown. Not only in the work there, But in your personal life, every year when it's time to go to Cambodia, I don't want to go. I kind of dig air conditioning. And Satan starts going, well, you don't need to go. Yes, I do. Because I need a fresh vision and an investigation that my eyes will affect my heart. So the question I'm closing with, where are you working? Are you invested in Albania? Are you invested in Hungary? Turkey? Where are you involved at? Malawi? Where is it that you're going to sell out your life for? Because at some point, we're all going to die. And what you're going to do is you're going to stand before Christ going, Man, I wish I'd have done more. Where is it? Let's pray. Father... I love you, and I thank you for loving us. And God, help us as a church, and a